Good morning, church. Let's start by coughing on everybody's ear. Sorry about that. Oh, man. Beautiful day. It's not raining for a change in the morning. I like that. Today's sermon topic is going to be anger management. It's going to be the title, or going to be the topic, of course, but it was, I couldn't think of a good title for the sermon, and I thought there's a, uh, there's a term for that, anger management. It gets to talk a lot about society. We're going to talk about it this morning because that's exactly what Jesus is talking about today. If you're just joining us for this series, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, breaking it up into kind of bite-sized chunks, uh, which are extraordinarily deep, <laughs> even these very small chunks. If that's interesting or you find that uh, intriguing, stick around because uh, it's one of the beautiful things about the Word of God is it's uh, simultaneously easy to digest and infinitely available for additional uh, research and learning and exposition. So, uh, but today's passage will focus specifically on anger. Um, it's something that I think we all would agree we could use less of in the world, um, and I don't think that's changed that much. So we'll read this passage together, uh, and then we'll pray, and we'll get into it. Let's jump right in. We're going to be in Matthew 5, verses uh, 20, we're starting at verse 21 through 26. You have heard it said that it was to, as it, <clears throat> sorry, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, short passage in many regards, um, but for a very small hole, it goes quite deep. Lord, I pray that uh, we'll put aside whatever preconceived notions we might have about how we approach anger and maybe relationships with other people within the body. Uh, for folks outside the body, we put that aside. We approach this um, with, with open minds and an open heart to really dig into what you would have us glean from your word today, Lord. What you're talking about here is a serious issue then. It's a serious issue now about how we interact with one another, what expectations we need to have for one another because of the expectations that you have for us, Lord. We're thankful for passages like this, thankful for the opportunity to study them. It's in your son's name, I pray. Amen. So what, what constitutes sin? Now this might seem like a little on the nose, maybe a strange opening question, but it's very critical because these next few passages, today's as well as next week's and the week after that, are specifically dealing with that. What is a sin? If you recall last week, Jesus asserted that the Bible is the source of truth. That was unequivocal in his statement. This is the word of God, the law, every bit of it, all of it, must be fulfilled. And he also taught that our righteousness is necessary for heaven. So we know that. We require righteousness to enter heaven. The Bible is the law that must be fulfilled. So how can we measure sin? So what? Many people then and now would assert that they are righteous. What Christ is opening with here, murder, most of them would say, well, absolutely. I mean, murder is murder, and that's a sin. And uh, no, no question about that. That's a big one. That's a bad one. They would have no qualms listing their good deeds and their lack of bad. What have I not done? I've not murdered. 
I've not done this. I've not done that. But what stuff in the law? I haven't done any of that stuff. Look at all the things I've done that's good. I've helped this person. I did that. I showed up early for that. I cleaned this person's robe. I helped them with the cattle. I fixed this. I, whatever. But now what we see is Jesus pivoting to the heart being measured, not the deed. This is a big deal. In a world of measurements and law and external visibility, and we talked a lot about this in our, our small group this morning, of this fundamental shift away from what they can see about you to what God knows about you. This is a critical shift in what makes someone quote-unquote good. It's not about looking good or acting good or tricking the system so that you could be good because you're following all the laws that you made up. It's about really being good. And what does that mean? So here we see uh, Christ, of course, covering. If you murder, you're in trouble. Murder is still bad. He's not saying who cares about murder. That's, that's, that's the old covenant or whatever, so we're not beholden to any of that. No, murder is still bad. And, it's, and he says whoever murders will be liable to judgment. This is Jesus referencing the scripture. He holds dear, which he asserted in last week's passage. The Bible, still in force. Still God's law, all of it good, all of it necessary. But... If you're angry toward a person, you're liable. The word is the same word of judgment here. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now what that judgment is, you might want to guess. I'd encourage you to dig deep into the word to see. But there were punishments for things. Things like murder had a punishment that somewhat coincided with the murder. What what we have Christ here saying is that if you're angry with your brother, you're going to be liable to judgment. The same word used. So that means it's equivalent to murder when it comes to the judgment thereof. Anger and murder are the same. Anger and murder are the same? Imagine hearing this and thinking, well, that can't, that can't be. In our society, they are not the same. Here in America, I can be angry with whomever I want, vocally angry. Can't be physically violent angry, but I can be very, very angry. I can tell all these people how angry I am. But if I shoot them, the law will do something vastly different to me than it would do if I was just angry. What Christ is saying is that's not the case when it comes to God's law. Panic. Okay, so wait, what? I'm angry a lot, and at many people, oh no, that's fair. Some manuscripts for this word, just to dig into this a little bit deeper, context is critical when we study the Bible. If I close the book and we pray this out right there, you might leave thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know how to process my anger. I better feign that I'm not angry, or maybe I'm not saved or I'm completely lost. So let's dig in. Let's study a bit more. Some manuscripts actually add angry without cause to that to try to clarify the word. The word that's used for anger here in the the Greek is typically a provoked anger. So this would be an anger that somebody did something to cause. But the way that he's using it here is the cause isn't, isn't evident. You are acting angry as if they did something to make you angry. If somebody stole my car right now, I would be angry. When Mike's car alarm went off, he was probably angry. At himself or the key fob or whatever else. Not on, on this unholy key fob, curse you. Uh, he, he, because we pull it back in. Oh, no, my car's gone. But at the end of the day, we can, we, this is what we do every day of our life. If somebody who stole that car, and I'm angry towards him for the, the nuisance of me having to go through that, that's reasonable. Now, if I, if I escalate that to murdering them, that's a problem. But being angry because they don't, but what we see here is 
I'm angry as if you stole my car, but you didn't steal my car. I'm angry as if you did something harmful to me, but you did nothing. That's the anger that we're talking about here. A provoked anger that doesn't have the necessary provocation. A feeling of real justified anger, but there is no justification. An easier word to consider might be hatred. When we think of hatred, it's usually not based on a fact. I tend not to hate things uh, outside of maybe perhaps sin, but when it comes to other people, I don't hate anybody. I would, I would admit that openly. Scripture might argue that I do occasionally, but I, it's not something that I harbor and let fester. Some people do. That's the caution we're talking about. I just can't stand them. I wish ill will on them all the time. It doesn't matter what they do. They can't come back. Words like unforgivable come up when it comes to this kind of thing. I don't, there's no way. I can never, ever stop hating them. Anger without cause is trouble. Now, when someone provokes you to anger through their bad actions, that's one thing. Whereas other scripture to back this up, but this passage isn't directly targeting that type of anger. That anger should not be allowed to beget sin. I'll make it very clear. Just because somebody did something to make you mad doesn't mean you're just going to completely double down on that and let that escalate out of control. We do want to rein those thoughts in. We want to be prayerful and considerate. Forgive, have an attitudes of forgiveness. That's reasonable. But what we're seeing here is this anger isn't being provoked and it's irrational hatred. It's a dislike, a disdain, a, a, a wishing of ill will upon somebody for something that they didn't even do. Maybe they did something, they asked for forgiveness, but you don't want to grant it. As we describe this, I hope for you, as it does for me, I'll be the first to admit, brings back some memories of some people over time. Maybe some people still currently that you've had some run-ins with, and quite frankly, they're just lousy folks. They're just not nice. They're not good people. You've never seen them say a kind word or do a nice thing. They're just kind of got a hateful attitude, and they're a lot of disdain for the world around them, and you know, they're, they're, not, they're not very helpful. They didn't really do anything to you specifically, but, you know, I just don't like them. That's the kind of anger we're talking about here. Left unchecked, that tends to grow and grow into deeper and deeper and deeper hatred. But the fact that it starts here, really, really disliking somebody, angry towards them for no good reason, that, Christ is saying, is the same as murdering them. We see calls similar to this when it comes to things like lust. It's better that you should marry a woman than lust after. Now, that's advice that is difficult to give in the modern world because marriage isn't quite as significant as it would have been at this time. But it's an interesting comparison. Rather than to lust, why don't you just get married? What Christ is kind of saying here is if you're going to hate somebody that much, you may as well murder them. The judgment's the same. Well, I would never murder them. That would be horrific. Everybody would know. I would go to jail. Christ saying, well, all that aside, you're going to end up in the same place if you leave that that way. The judgment will be due. Anybody ever heard this phrase, adding insult to injury? I always heard it as a kid. I did a lot of this, apparently, according to my parents, adding insult to injury growing up. Where something's gone bad, and I'm going to make it a little bit worse. And this is where context is helpful. Insulting someone isn't accusing them of anything. Accusation and insult are two different things. Now, in today's society, that's gotten blurred because people are identifying with things that need to be accused, uh, that they need to be accused of, things they need to repent of. That's become core to me. I'm a thief at heart. I'm, you know, I'm sexually immoral by design. That's just the way that I'm put together. What have you? So to come at them and say, hey, you need to knock that off, they'd say, hey, how dare you insult me in my core existence that way. But this is something where I'm just, I, I just don't like you very much, and I'm going to pick on you. As somebody that is significantly overweight and have been most of my life, I'm familiar with this sort of thing. 
There are people that could give me something constructive. I don't like the way you did that. You're, you missed this answer on the test. And then there are other people saying, you're fat. You're ugly. That's an insult. That's not something actionable for me. I can't correct that necessarily. We can try. Lots of people do. They let that stuff fester inside them. But this is just being mean to be mean. This is me calling somebody out, bringing attention to them negatively, something that they've done, something that they are, an insult. Christ says even this makes you liable. When I say context is helpful, notice how this flows. First you dislike somebody, right? And then you begin to pick on them. Hatred, insult, and lastly, accusation. If you stay this course of hatred, you may declare you fool. Now, this is tricky because they'd be like, you fool. I mean, I've called people fools before. <laughs> Here, what we see is the word for fool, the root of this, is the word we would derive moron from. Um, I think in my head, if I heard somebody say, oh, that was you fool, I would take it a lot different than hearing somebody say, you are a moron. Seriously. Like, what do you mean by that? Hey, whoa, I'm a moron. This is a strong foolishness. This type of foolishness used here, trending inevitably toward godlessness. Think of this perhaps like a, a child that doesn't understand the dangers of the world around them. Putting their hand on a burner will, will burn them. It's foolish to do that. We know it's foolish. They don't know that. We could say that they're ignorant. We give credit to the kids that they don't know what they don't know. But this is like a grown adult seeing a red-hot stove and saying, ooh, you moron, you've burned yourself. This declaration is basically putting them in a camp of, I don't like you, you're fat, stupid, and ugly, and I think you're so stupid, the way you act, I don't even think you could, you could be saved. You're too dumb. God has created you as an unrighteous vessel. I'm confident in it. Now, if these sound harsh, they are harsh. You will not see this happen in the world around us regularly. This sort of thing would almost be called out by other people. But remember what Christ is talking about here starts in your heart. I don't like the way that guy does. I just, he drives me up a wall. And you know what? And he's ugly. And the way he acts and treats people, the way that they interact, I don't even know if they're saved. God, I almost hope they're not saved. Now, no one, hey, well, I've never, I never said that. But what Christ is saying is if you stay down this path, that is probably where it's going to end up. God, can I take a vote? Not them. And people, what? I didn't even know you didn't like me. Of course not. I never said it. I never said anything about it, but it was in my heart. Man, you've been driving me nuts for a long, long time. 30 years I've let this stew, and I've been stirring it, keeping the fire lit. And today's the day, pal. Well, here's the list of grievances. I didn't like this. 31 years ago, remember you did that? 26 years ago, you said this to me. Remember that? Then about nine months after that. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa what's going on? Punishments? You got it. Liability for hatred? Yes. Insults? Yes. Condemnation? Yes. The tier here, judgment, counsel. So judgment would have been the courts of law, the counsel, a little bit more powerful in Jewish law, and hell, respectively. Where this ends up is a place of eternal torment. Remember who Christ is talking to. We can sprinkle this now with all this understanding and context from the Bible to flush this out fully. But where Christ is leading is if you take a thing like this and you let that, you nurture it. You take anger and you let it turn into hatred. If, there, if you've ever seen the movie Star Wars, or any of those movies, they use a very similar concept because it's transcendent. This notion about, like, take the hatred and double down on it. That's how you'll become more powerful. Well, 
Of course, it also leads to death, inevitable death. It's part of the plan from the get-go in that movie. Same here. Lifted that notion right from Scripture. Take hatred. Will it give you power? Sure, power over something. I don't know what it is, but yeah, I feel powerful. I have power over them. I'm controlling this. I've got it. It's destroying you. You're completely liable for every bit of that. So then you're thinking, whew, that must have been the hard part of this passage. Yikes. Keeping anger in check, not letting it fester, giving that over, being in prayer, confessing it to the, the body of believers, have them help you, consult, let's work together, let's study the Word, let's be in prayer. That must be tough. Now what if someone's struggling with any of those against you? I mean, that's their problem, right? The judge never charges the victim. Anybody here ever been a victim of a crime? I have. <laughs> I've been robbed. The judge didn't call me in and charge me with robbery. Failure to prevent a robbery. That doesn't work that way. There's something interesting here. Jesus is going to change that right now. And what I will assert is let's get ready for the hard part. I'll speak from experience. The hard part. Wait, how's this my problem? Well, this is the crux of a loving family of Christ. When he talks here about brother, Christ is specifically talking about within the church, other members of the faith. Now, we shouldn't hate people outside the walls. We should feel pity for them because they don't know the truth. The Holy Spirit's not moved in their life. Sinners are going to sin. The lost will be lost. We need to be in prayer. We need to be bringing in the good news. We don't need to be showing up to them, of course not, with hatred and a bunch of judgment and square your life away, then come to Christ. That's a bad, bad message. But when it comes to those within the church... If you're harboring anger that's begetting hatred that turns to insults, that turns to basically condemnation, we got a problem. But what if somebody else feels that way about you? What Christ desires is no bad blood between believers. None of this should be happening. And if you know there's a brother or sister that is angry with you, that is your primary ministry. Reconciliation is very important, more important than our offerings. Now, a lot of people roll their eyes out of the Sermon on the Mount. Here comes the offerings, right? Yeah, but not here. We will appreciate your offerings before you go. <laughs> I've heard that before. It's not funny. It's not about that. Money was just as important to the, to, to the Jewish culture at the time as it is to churches here. It's required for many things. But what we have Christ saying is before you give your offering, for many people at this time, many people in our time, that is the only reason they went to the service, was to give their money to get you off their back. There's my precious offering. Can I go? Absolutely. Have a great day. Thank you for your gift uh, of worship. <laughs> anyway, have a nice day. Fairly well. See you at Easter. This is what Christ is saying is if you showed up and, and you had your offering ready, put it back in your pocket and go. Sort this issue out. The church has no business collecting money from people that hate one another. That's the other side of this le the lesson for folks like me and Mike that are sitting in leadership. If we're letting that fester, if we see the stuff going on, but the money's still looking okay and the church's still functioning, that's not, that is no, it's not, look, it's number one, it's not okay, and it's not functioning. We are all in this together. We need to work together. And when I say reconciliation is very important, more important than our offerings, it was to Christ and it is to us. And beloved, we will need to ask for forgiveness. It's not if, but when. I'll tell you right now, I have asked for forgiveness for more people than I can remember. Uh, where I have done wrong. Maybe I haven't done wrong in my mind's eye. I've been perceived as doing wrong. But if you've got an accuser, try to work it out. Try to work it out. You may not be able to do so, but please try. 
Fair to even try means we may find ourselves subject to judgment. If I know someone's being, uh, holding something against me, and I know that they are, they're in this place of darkness, and they're a brother or sister in Christ, and I do nothing and let them walk down this road that I just described, which inevitably leads to hell, what kind of a brother am I? Oh, you're suffering? You're working through issues? You're not doing a very good job of it? You hate my guts? Fine. Sit over there and rot in it. Guess what? I have just become the thing that I'm accusing them of. Now I'm going to sit on the other side with hatred in my heart. It's turning into insults. Good for you. Too dumb to get over it. You fool. You know the old adage, every time you point, there's three fingers pointing back at you. That's cute enough, right? My trick was like, well, I point like this. <laughs> well, don't do that, right? But the reality is this. If we sit in judgment of other people because they're struggling through sin, it's not about, well, your, your judgment's deeper than mine. That's their problem. Because we're going to show up and Christ is going to be like, what did you do to help? What did you do? You knew they were struggling. People came to you and said, they're really struggling. Well, I did nothing wrong. That is like the, the all-time chant of many people. Well, I did nothing wrong. I could justify my actions in Scripture. That's great. They are literally on a road to death, struggling, drowning in this. What are you doing about that? Well, nothing, because I didn't do anything wrong. So do something right. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I always get a T-shirt with that made just to start fights. See, I'm doing it again. But people say, well, me either. Like, I know, right? This, we can all say this. I didn't do anything wrong. Guess what? It's all lies. I've done plenty of stuff wrong. I've probably done 500 things wrong today. Jesus warns us that if we don't work it out, the judge will. Once the court's involved and a judgment is made, we're, we're stuck. That's exactly what's being said here. This does parallel real life a lot of times. If you don't want to work, if you can't make the case that the boom, bang. Now, we have appeals and all that kind of stuff in, in the court system of today. But when the gavel hits and the, the, the judgment is pronounced and the jury of your peers has come back, that is the judgment. And if you said, no, wait a minute, I'll take the plea deal now. <laughs> Too late for that. Verse 526, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Never get out. God's word from God's mouth. If you owe a debt and it makes it to judgment, you're going to pay it. You are going to pay it. That's, that's, that's red text in my Bible. It's all God's word. But it, I mean, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Should make you wonder. Well, then I better square that up. I better make sure that it's not more debt than I can afford. Bad, the, the, the bad news is if you take any debt in front of the judge, it's uh, the last penny will never arrive. <laughs> Eternity is a long time. So points to ponder. Number one, do not let anger fester into condemnation. That's that, con that continuum we talked about. Starts with angry, then insult. Then, then well, now I'm a little bit madder and I can't let it go and I think you're an idiot. Now I'm willing to condemn you. I'm willing to say you're not welcome in the body anymore. You're not even saved. Stop that from happening, church. Number two, do not let others' anger fester into condemnation. Now once again, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. That's not my problem. Well, as a body of believers, it is. If you have a family member that's struggling with some ir irrational problems in their life, you do something to address it, most likely, unless you didn't like them very much. And if you let them 
continue down a road that's going to lead them to their ultimate demise, one could argue you hated them all the way to condemnation. So we can't let that happen either. Number three, love your brothers and sisters as Christ loves you. And number four, know that any suffering we endure pales, in comp pales compared to Christ's suffering. You can bet as we begin this process, as you take stock and you start going through this in your life, really be honest about it. There will be some suffering that comes from this. There will be people that will say, I can't believe you brought this up again. There will be people who say, why are you asking for forgiveness for that? I forgave that, I forgave that in, for you 100 years ago. I know, but it's been on my mind. I don't think I said I was sorry enough. I'm saying it one more time. It might stir it up. But if we do those first three and suffering comes, just know. It's going to pale in comparison to what Christ has done. So number one, do not let anger fester in the condemnation. Anger is like a splinter. Leave it unchecked, it'll become an infection. Just like, I mean, it's a good analogy because sometimes these little tiny cuts, not a big deal, just ignore it. And pretty soon you're sitting in the doctor's office and I'll, well, you'll hear this sometimes. Boy, uh, we got this just in time if you're lucky. or uh, we're, going to have to, we're going to have to open that up and wash it out. And, and now it's a huge ordeal because I ignored it. Don't ignore anger, especially this anger where it's just like, they've got my goat. They just really drive me nuts. The things they say and do and the way they act, oh. Number two about this is being angry is not a sin. There's other parts of Scripture that says, in your anger, do not sin. So we know anger and sin are separate, but it will become sin if we let it. If we double down on that anger and try to make it our own, try to harvest it and tend to it and let it grow into really full-fledged, justified anger, start struggling for justification, nitpicking is a good word for that. I'm going to find a way. i got a good reason to be mad. Just give me a second. I'll find it. i got it in my filing cabinet here. It becomes sin. Now we're devoting more time towards our hatred and anger than we are towards the, the good work of the gospel. And the end of the anger continuum is condemnation of another. That's why we don't want to start it. We are not in the condemnation business. And we're also not in the salvation business. I can't send somebody to hell any more than I could retrieve them from that place. But if in my heart I wish them hell, I have fundamentally missed my calling as a, as a, as a Christian, as a believer in the gospel. I desire that all that hear the good news are saved. It's God's business, but that's my desire. I stand here today with that in my head, in my heart, that somebody hears these words and says, I believe that. I believe what you're saying. I want to know more. I want to learn more about Christ. Awesome. But if I take this pulpit, I'm looking at them. Oh, boy, I tell you. I know a few of you out here. As far as I'm concerned, right to hell with you, right? Red flag, right? Now, why does anybody ever say that kind of stuff in the pulpit? Well, because anybody would say, well, of course, that's a bad idea. We can't have the pastor wishing people to hell. That's absurd. But then we go away. We spend time driving. I tell you, he did it again today. He sat right in the seat that I always sit in on the second Sunday of the month. I know he did it personally to attack me. I just can't, well, I can't get over this. As Jesus said, even in our hearts, we are liable. If that's my issue driving home, if I'm sitting here just festering going over this stuff, I am starting down a path that does not have any reward. Knock it off. Get some help. Ask for prayer. Go to that person, especially if you feel that they've slighted you. You know, I have to say, you sat in my seat. I think you're doing it intentionally, and you've done it the last six months. Don't be surprised if they look at you with a blank face like, what? I didn't know we had assigned seats. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't have assigned seats, but that's where I sat before you started coming here. Like, how would I have known that? Well, well you knew. Like, I didn't know, but I'm sorry. And I certainly don't. And then maybe 
Some wise counsel would say, they did nothing wrong. Maybe you should be the one that's sorry. But if you say nothing and you let it go, not good. Do not let others anger fester into condemnation. Knowing what anger will do to us, we should desire that no other people fall into this trap. This is tougher because reconciliation can seem like more judgment. If you've ever tried to reconcile with somebody, bringing it up can bring it out, right? Listen, I just want you to know I forgive you for blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Excuse me? You don't have to forgive me for that because I don't think I did anything wrong. And we're off, right? There's an approach to this that does require a lot of scrutiny, thought, and prayer. Uh, an understanding where someone else is at to have them not retreat further into their hatred, further down that continuum of, now they're going to say, oh, you're an idiot for even saying that to me. You know, I can't even believe you come to church. Now, uh-oh, oh, listen, I swear, I'm trying to make it better, but I'm, I'm, I'm oafish. This is precisely why the Bible provides advice on how to do this sort of thing. You've got to promise somebody, you can go and approach them. If that doesn't work out, bring some elders. If that doesn't work out, take it to the church. Well, I don't want to bring it up in front of the church. Yeah, God knows that. You probably want to work it out before it comes to there. Nearly everybody does. And it tends to work out when everybody comes together and there's no attitude that is, I'm right and you're wrong. If the attitude is, I love you and I'm sorry that it has come to this at all, that's much harder to argue against. It won't be easy, but if we're genuine in our desire to reconcile, there is hope. Large rifts can be mended. Some rifts will not be mended. You cannot make somebody reconcile. Can't do it. They're going to have to go through this process at their own accord, but the whole benefit of being together is if we all nod our heads and say, yes, we don't want to be angry with one another inside these walls, inside this body, wherever, wherever we're at, we want this to be a place of reconciliation where people can come together and, 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 and work together to become more like Christ in all of our interactions. Then that becomes an opportunity to grow as a congregation through these kinds of things instead of just putting them away or dealing with them another day or letting them fester. Number three, love your brothers and sisters as Christ loves you. I'll tell you this is exceptionally difficult with some people. For me. There are some people I just... It's like oil and water, you know. It's tough. It seems like everything I do, I can't make any inroads. Uh, it's been with people at church, people that I work with, people in my family. It just doesn't matter. You, you find a place, I'm an abrasive person, I'm a type A kind of personality. And some people just don't like that. This, this guy just, he's, he's a know-it-all. Even though I, I'll t openly tell you, I don't know everything. I don't know it all. I know nearly all, but not all. <laughs> that doesn't fly very well either. Those sorts of things, is that right? But... Sometimes loving might be keeping a certain distance to avoid conflict. And you might say, oh, no, I've, I don't like that idea. Uh, I've often said, I don't want Christ, I don't want, when I, when I arrive to heaven, I don't want Christ to say to me something I've said about other people, which is, I'm glad you're here, but I'm just going to keep away from you. I don't have a problem with you. I've forgiven you, but I, I can't be with you. This would break my heart. It almost brings me to tears to think about that, to hear that from Christ. I am so Sorry. What could I have done to make it better? Well, the good news is it's all here. But when, we are, when we're called to approach other people in this mindset of how, how Christ loved us, the point is Christ laid down his life. Christ sacrificed everything. Christ told the truth. Christ lived an upright life. He set a wonderful example. 
He had words that were sometimes harsh, but were always true, always loving. That's what we want to do for one another. And if I have to give you some bad news, if I have to tell you something's a little awry, if I have to say, I'm sorry for what I've done, or I need you to know that I've been struggling with something that you did. I know it's not a big deal, but I can't let it go. I was wondering if you could pray for me so that I could get past this because I want to, re- I want to, I want to have a relationship with you, and I know that I'm the problem. Words like that can strike people all over the place. Like, why can their head? Anybody ask me to pray for them because they're struggling with me? Why would you come to your enemy? You're not my enemy. I know you're not my enemy. I'm just trying to get through this together. As we read earlier, remember that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We were not giving in. We had no interest in reconciling with Christ, and he dies for us. At our worst, Christ went to the cross. When someone else is at their worst, let us think the same way. I will sacrifice my time, my effort, my hard work, my sweat equity, whatever it takes to reconcile you to God. When we seek to love as Christ does, it must be God's love through us. This, once again, all going all the way back to the attitude. This isn't about feigning reconciliation. It's not, I'm here because the pastor said I have to come here. I'm sorry for what I did. And he's, okay, well, I, I, uh, accepted. Please leave my, get off my porch. Sounds good. Okay, check reconciliation. No, 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 no. That's all I'm talking about. I'm talking about this heartbreak where you know something's wrong and you want it to be right. Will it be right? That's God's problem, not yours. But if you want that, if you can love with that attitude, approach it in that way, in prayer with the Holy Spirit, that's when we begin to love as Christ does. That's when things can change. Lastly, know that any suffering we endure pales compared to Christ's suffering. Will this lead to difficult interactions and such? Yes, most likely. I could say no. No, 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 it'll be a piece of cake. It'll be on cloud nine, but I doubt it. Some people will not reconcile and will dig in their heels. Some people will not forgive us our debts and will demand justice for them. This is the world we live in. I cannot do that for you, but I can tell you sincerely, and brothers and sisters, it better be sincerely, that I am so sorry. I want this to be behind us. I want to start fresh. We don't have to ignore what was done in the past. We can be a little guarded with one another. But let's be honest about that. Let's work together to see if we can find a a tomorrow that's more about Christ and less about us. This should not discourage us, but rather give us a chance to share the good news. If I can go to a brother and sister in Christ and say, there's not a thing about me that's ever going to be any good. And I am sorry for that, but that is the way that it is. All I can lean on is what Christ has done for me and the Holy Spirit moving in my life. I am sorry for my sin. It's perpetual. It's going to be here all the time. It's, I'm going to keep screwing up. I'm asking God for forgiveness every day, and I'm going to be asking you for forgiveness every day as well. Please pray for me. How can you stay mad at somebody that says that heartfelt? You ever had a kid do something wrong? And sometimes they're like, well, I'm sorry. And you're like, oh, God, I'm going to. But then there's other times when they're weeping before they get to you. And you have no desire to punish. I don't have a desire to embrace and comfort. I understand. I've been there. I know that feeling of, 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 of abject sadness, of sorrow, of frustration, anger, whatever you want to call it. But I don't like what's happening. right? I don't want this to be the case. I want this to stop. And I'm sad because of it. I'm emotional because of the state of things. That sort of a situation through reconciliation gives us a chance to share the good news that I don't need you to act good. I don't want you to pretend to like me. I want you to love me as Christ loves the church. 
I don't know that I can. Well, then what can I do to make that easier for you? Those kinds of conversations can, can, can change so much within the body. And when the world sees that, they will be confused. Because the world says, read four or five books, go see a therapist, sort it out yourself, and then approach them with any number of steps, and that will correct the issue. I'm not saying it can't work, but it can't work like Christ works. So just know that it's not about us do, doing good enough. It's not about us being good enough. It's not about us acting good enough. We will fail. There is freedom in admitting your faults. They are my faults. That's all I got. You want to know what I bring to the table? Faults. <laughs> Something went wrong, it's me. It's not Christ and it's not the church, it's me. I am a mess. There's freedom in knowing that without Christ, we are without hope. I can't get any better on my own. I've been trying for 40 plus years. It won't work. I seem to get worse and worse the more I try to get better, ironically enough. Why? Because you can't clean with dirt. If there's dirt on something and I try to rub it off with dirt, the best case scenario is there's maybe the same amount of dirt, slightly less, but it can never be dirt free. All I have is dirt. It will not be clean. Our desires to do good must come from the Holy Spirit or they're selfish in nature. I have this argument, discussion, this discussion with many people about, well, plenty of people that don't know who Christ is do good work. I'm like, oh, man, you could say that, but what constitutes good work? I will assert if it's not work born of God, built to glorify God, it's not good. Now, God does everything. He's in complete control of all things. But when we have a hand in it, we start taking over. Well, I know the Bible's a little sketchy on this. It probably isn't too good, but I'm going to do it anyway with a good attitude. It's bad news. We need our good to come from the Holy Spirit, not so that we can justify ourselves, not so that we look good. Hey, look at the good I did. Let me put this on Facebook and show everybody how good I was giving money to this person or helping this. And Make sure you film it. Make sure you put it on my page. Make sure we monetize it. That's the world we live in today. Good for the sake of looking good. Our desire for good must be from the Holy Spirit. This is the way that reconciliation is supposed to work. Just as we're reconciled to God. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross to look good. He didn't die on the cross so we look good. He died on the cross so we will be good. We are made righteous through that work. Literally good. Reconciled to God? You never heard that term? This is the good news. What Christ has done is nothing short of everything required for us to be reconciled to God. It is finished. Those are his last words on the cross, and they are transcendent for all time. All that we've talked about today is possible thanks to the Holy Spirit. If you have tried to reconcile with people yourself, you've gone to therapy together, whatever, and it's never worked, and you've never once tried to actually talk to them and understand that you are without hope, without Christ, and that you're in the same boat, and we've got to square this up together, or we're never really going to be able to reconcile. If that's ever happened, today's a wonderful day. There's a, there is a path forward. There's another option. The Holy Spirit's a constant companion and a free gift thanks to Christ's finished work. If this is foreign to you and you don't know what's going on, please holler. Let us know. It starts here. Everything we're talking about today, this is not self-help. This is Holy Spirit working through us to do something that we could never do on our own. Anger management in the hands of man will fail. It must be put in the hands of Christ. So what about us? Have you been sharpening a hatchet that needs buried? Anybody heard that term, burying the hatchet? It's an old-timey term for making peace. But if you're still sharpening one of those up, knock it off. Dull it down, bury it, throw it away. 
But before you do, maybe give that person a call and show them the hatchet that you are. Let them know, I'm done with this. I am done. Every day I'm starting over, but today I'm letting you know I am done hating you. I'm, I may have to say this again tomorrow, that I'm yet again done, but I'm working through it. Forgiveness is hard. It's very, very difficult. And it does require two parties in many regards. But being able for us to say any culpability that I have in this, I am sorry. If I've even made you feel that way, I am literally sorry. Who do you know that's been sharpening a hatchet because of you? There's someone else over there that you know wants your throat cut. Literally, it would be bad, of course, but figuratively, you know, they just they can't stand you. What can we do about that? If you know someone that has a problem with you, please get up and go deal with that right now. I mean it. Go. Fine. We talk a lot about getting, you know, let's get up church and get out and do something. What Christ is telling us to do right now is before it comes to offering to go, this is a fine time. Any time is a fine time. You don't have to wait until church is over. It should be done before you even walk in the door. Everything we do in here is an act of worship, is an offering of praise. God doesn't want it if we're sitting in a complete disarray relationship with somebody else that we call a brother or sister. We want to get those things addressed. And lastly, let's be honest with one another, and together we can bury every hatchet. You might say, well, how could you say that? Every hatchet? I am completely reliant on the Holy Spirit and Christ's work, and I believe 100% that Christ can do what he said he would do. He can reconcile all of us together as a giant unified church across the entire earth if he chooses to. But he has chosen to work through us. He has given us instruction to do this. So let us do this. And let's see what God does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today's passage. I thank you for the challenge of anger management in our lives, Lord. And I thank you for the even bigger challenge of helping other people manage their anger towards us, maybe even towards others, but specifically towards us. Lord, help us, convict in us where we need to be repentant in any number of ways to help reconcile uh, folks that have done wrong to us so we can cross that bridge of forgiveness with them, together with them, and where we... We need forgiveness from others, Lord. Help us to approach that humbly, knowing that any forgiveness that comes will only come because you forgave us first, Lord. You set the perfect example for us. While we were sinners, you died for us. While we weren't even asking for forgiveness or thought we even needed it, you still went to that cross, knowing that one day when we were going to ask, it would be granted. It was already done. Lord, help us to think about that when we see other people struggling with forgiveness, struggling with harboring ill will that's maybe moving its way right down towards condemnation of one another because of things like this, Lord. Help it not to fester in this, in this congregation. And help us to set an example, Lord, through your work in us of, of what a church can do when a church relies on Christ instead of on itself. Thank you for this time together, Lord. In your sons, I pray. Amen.